that love that we experience in our relationship with Jesus Christ is the love that we also share uh, as the church and its members and functioning together. It's the type of love and affection, loyalty that we're going to talk about tonight as highlighted for us in David and Jonathan's friendship. And so we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 20. Things are getting uncomfortable for David, to say the least. Um, He has just been um, obedient and faithful to the Lord. And the Lord has given him many victories and blessed him in many ways and obviously protected him against King Saul's jealousy. Everything that David probably would have expected was happening up until last week when um, Saul throws his spear a third time and David realizes this is more than just a guy in a bad mood. <laughs> He's in maybe just look in his eyes or whatever. He sees him and says, there's something else going on here. He goes home. There's spies at the door listening in. Obviously, again, Saul had a very good network of spies. Um, his, he has a conversation with his wife, Michal, who he's just recently married. And she says, you need to get out of here. And I'll help you by helping you out of the window and helps him escape. And then she, um, unfortunately, pulls some extra idols out from, I'm not sure she has a personal idol stash. Certainly David wouldn't have worshipped idols, but she probably did. And uses that to make it look like David's sick. Well, that ruse is found out pretty quick, and Saul's angry, and so she uses an excuse. But you have Jonathan, and then uh, Saul's own daughter, Michal, um, helping David, and then, of course, the Holy Spirit himself intervenes with Saul, and um, very embarrassing to Saul. Uh, it says that he lay there. The word is naked, but in the Hebrew, it has the idea of he took off his um royal clothes so he still had something on but what was happening here i think too was if you think about this david was now in the presence of samuel and in this worship service we still don't understand all the details of it that they were having david was at or or saul was actually in the presence of god and what god said to saul you're no longer king so when it came to saul's presence before god saul god basically says you're not allowed to wear your robes your priest your your kingly robes in front of me because you're not the legitimate king anymore so they're removed and uh, saul's still worshiping like the others but a very embarrassing situation for him but protection for david david's now able to escape while saul's um preoccupied in this way and he takes opportunity to do that Um, David escapes from Samuel and goes to find Jonathan. Now, think about this. Uh, David, at this point, just wants to know, why why is all this happening? He doesn't understand. He expected normal. I think he expected a little bit of normal persecution and normal pushback when he stood courageously for the Lord, obviously, with Goliath. Uh, but I think now with the situation, he's literally perplexed. I don't understand. I, I know I'm supp- that I, when I stand for God, things aren't always easy, but I don't understand what's going on with this. And he wants back to his normal life. He wants back to life with his family and with his friends. Um, and 
hold on a second here. Okay. And he wants to be back, you know, with his wife, all these normal things. He just wants life to get back to normal. Um, and so he's thinking in his own mind, it must be something with me then. I, I must, and we tend to do this too, right? Um, particularly if, if we're somewhat humble, if somebody has ought against us, one of the things that we're supposed to do is check our own lives. Have I really, have I done something? And if I need to uh, apologize for something, I'll certainly do that. And David's wondering that same thing. So he thinks the, the person I need to talk to next is my good friend, Jonathan, and find out why this is going on. Now, normally you don't run to the son of your antagonist for help, right? This whole situation is unique in that fact, um, especially when that person is in, next in line for the throne and you've been anointed king. You normally try to stay away from those kind of people when you're in this situation, but this isn't normal. And David does trust this young man because he's also his best friend who has his back. Really, as we continue on here with Jonathan, it really is remarkable uh, what Jonathan doesn't hold on to or cling to. He had plenty of rights that were legitimately supposed to be his. And David, he could have looked like his father Saul will later on. We'll see this soon. As David is the interloper or the one that's interrupting everything and changing his life dramatically, and yet he doesn't do that at all. He's very loyal to David because he understands that David has a commitment for God, just like he does. And so they have that bond of love for the Lord. And David knows Jonathan will be straight up with me. He'll be honest. And if you have a friend or ministry partner, or certainly hopefully your wife, or someone in your life that will just be straight up with you and, and be honest with you and let you know, there are things in your life that need changed or, or something like that. And the folks, that is one of the, the best gifts that we can have in this world is someone that can be that upfront and honest with us that won't hold back or hide. And David goes to Jonathan saying, he'll, I know he'll just give it to me straight and he'll tell me what's going on. So that's what happens. It says, he it says, uh, chapter 20, verse one, David fled from Naoth and Ramah where he'd been with Samuel, where Saul is, um, preoccupied in a worship service. And he came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is my iniquity? Or really the idea, what is my guilt? Am I guilty of anything? What is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? Jonathan, your dad's after me. I just, I'm, I've been running from him. I, let me know, is there any sin that I'm not aware of that has caused him to act this way toward me? And here's where we get that. Remember how we said Jonathan is many things, um, a great character, but he does seem to be a little bit naive on certain points. And this shows that here. Um, everybody else around David seems to understand, yeah, Saul wants to kill you. Not Jonathan. Jonathan said unto him, God forbid, or that's the King James version. When, when they translated that back at that time, it meant, may it never be. That was the phrase that they used. The Hebrew there means something like, far from it. May it never be. Uh, David, my father's not after you. And certainly you've done nothing wrong. I would have told you. For, for you to have sinned in a way that my father would be seeking your life. No, that can't be possible. Thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small but that he will show it to me. Or in other words, he has the idea here of my dad doesn't do anything 
we have this kind of relationship without disclosing it to me. I'm part of his army. I'm part of the royal family. He lets me in. He shares everything with me. And so why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And he tries to comfort his friend. Um, again, for whatever reason, Jonathan just isn't really aware of his dad's murderous intentions. And David gives him the answer here in just a minute why that's the case. But David is clear here. No, Jonathan, you've got to understand something. I, my life is in danger. Look at verse three. David swear, moreover. Now, it doesn't mean that he swore in a bad sense, but he, he swore by God a very serious thing here and says, basically, I swear to you, Jonathan. Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace or favor in thine eyes. At this point, Saul obviously does understand a little bit more of the relationship between David and his son, Jonathan. He does know that. And so David says, he knows that we're good friends, that I have favor in your sight. And so he hath said, let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. Okay. How did David know this? Um, well, maybe he was guessing on his part that, that he just guessed that because of Saul's attitude toward him, this had to be the case. But I think there's also the possibility he was with Samuel. And Samuel, the Lord let Samuel know that Saul felt this way, and Samuel told David. So David received this right from the Lord that Saul was not telling Jonathan because he didn't want to get Jonathan involved. He knew Jonathan had a close friendship, and he was intent upon killing David. And so he didn't want any opposition or anything getting in the way of his quest to kill David. So he didn't tell Jonathan. So Jonathan, you don't know, but I'm telling you truly as the Lord liveth, very strong statement there. And as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. He says, basically, David's response is desperate and dramatic. Of course, your dad wouldn't have told you. He knows we're great friends and expects your loyalty will compromise his plans. But I swear to you, Jonathan, I'm one step away from death. This is an exaggeration. <laughs> He's been on the run, right, out of his own home. His wife had to help him down out of the window. He ran to Samuel and Saul sent his servants to capture him. David knows what he's talking about here, and he's desperate at this point. And so Jonathan sees this desperation in David's face and says, well, David, whatever, whatsoever thy soul desireth, or whatever you say, I will even do it for thee. He sees the fear in David's demeanor and reminds him, of course, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. David, we have a covenant of friendship between us. That means something. That means that we have committed before God to be loyal to each other. I'll do whatever you want to do. Now, David has a plan. And uh, by the way, just as a side note, if you have um, a lot of times a problem or a concern to present to certain people in your life, it's always good as well to maybe have a possible solution. Um, don't always be the complaint person that never has a solution for your problem. But think about those things. And it, it helps leadership. It helps. I'm not thinking of anybody here in particular with me and with, with our, our church in this. But this is just a general principle that whatever you have a difficulty or trouble, um, a possible solution is always a big help. Well, David, God has given him. He has the Holy Spirit with him. He has wisdom. And he says, I've got a plan, Jonathan. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to miss some of the meals coming up. And he says, verse five, David said unto Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon. 
and I should not fail to sit with the king at meat or at the table. It is my responsibility to be with King Saul with your family. I'm a part of the king's household at this point. Why was he responsible to be there? This whole idea of this new moon is basically this. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of festivals and things that the Jews um, keep track of that it's, it's kind of hard for us to keep track of all these different things, but this seems to be a festival called the New Moon Festival that was a part of Jewish um, culture, and it represented the day, it seems to be maybe even month, it had to be monthly, where the new crescent moon shone in the sky at sunset, and it marked the beginning of a new month on the calendar. It was kind of hard to predict, so many times they would have a special meal, but you never know when that crescent moon was going to show up, so many times it was multiple meals. And anyway, David and, and the king, part of the king's household, he was expected to be at these special meals for this new moon um, celebration. And David says, I'm not going to show up. I'm going to hide. And I'm not going to be present as is expected of me. And here's my cover story, Jonathan. Here's what I want you to tell them. So let's look at this um, at the end of verse five. But let me go that I may hide myself in the field unto the third day at even. Hide for three days. If thy father at all miss me, then say, here's what I want you to tell him, Jonathan. David earnestly asked leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city. For there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. Now, this is a legitimate excuse um, that would be under normal circumstances, even with a king, it would be an acceptable excuse for someone to miss this festival time in the king's household. This excuse that David gave would normally trump his responsibility to be with King Saul. Now, there's one problem. It's a lie, right? And what do you do with these things? This isn't going to be the last time that David kind of, we would say, hedges on the truth. It's, it's more than a little white lie. It just it doesn't happen happen, right? And what, what do we do with these things morally? Well, people have sensitive consciences on this and come down a little bit differently on this. I tend to look at this as this was more, even with Rahab, um, in these military affairs, it's kind of like even a spy network today. I'm listening to a, another, or reading an audio, or listening to an audio book, excuse me, about some of the spy networks that went on during World War II. Well, they gave themselves different names and they had to be deceitful about their identities and different things. And from my vantage point, I think that's acceptable that God allows for that kind of thing in war. Um, I think it's the same sort of thing in this scenario. Would there have been a better way for David to do this? Possibly. I'm not going to fully recommend or support him in this lie. Um, But in the end, um, God is going to still use um, this aspect to protect David. And it is something that is a, if it had actually happened, is a good excuse. And it would only anger someone who was out of sorts with that person that gave the excuse. Does that make sense? So, um, and that's what he says here in verse seven. And if he say, if the King Saul says, it is well, thy servant shall have peace. If King Saul says, that's okay. I understand. That's important. Then he says, Jonathan, you're right. And I'm wrong. He's at peace. No problem. But if he, here's our really expressive King James word again, I love this, but if he be very wroth 
I mean, that's wrath, anger on steroids. I mean, just like, raw, you know. Um, then be sure that evil or harm is determined by him. And so here's, here's the plan that David has come, uh, come up with. And Jonathan's going to follow through on this. If um, the king accepts David's excuse as valid, everything's okay. If he's unreasonably angry, then Jonathan will realize that Saul's true intention is not good, and he can warn David at that point. And then David reminds him of their covenantal relationship. Verse 8, thou, therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee. And at this point, Jonathan will bring this back up in a minute, but Jonathan could have said, well, of course, David, I, how can I forget our covenant? It's one of the most important things in my life. I know that um, I, I, I pledge my life to you, to help you, to be loyal to you. Of course, I'm going to do that. And then look what David says here. This just shows you his lack of guile and humility in his life. Because he says this, if there be in me iniquity or guilt, Jonathan, you just kill me yourself. You just end my life. For why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? I trust you, Jonathan. I trust you so much that if I've done something that's worthy of death like your father does, I would just rather have you end my life. You just kill me. And don't think that he's being, um, he's using hyperbole here. He's serious. David's saying, you, you deal with me. I trust you. I don't need to be brought to your father. And of course, Jonathan is really appalled by all this. And he says, far be it from thee. I would never do that, David. For if I knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come upon thee, then would I not tell it to thee? David, if, if I thought that my dad was that angry with you, you know I'd come and tell you right away. You know, you, you could trust me. And yet David is so worked up at this point. He says to Jonathan, who shall tell me? Or what if thy father answer thee roughly? It's almost like he's saying, look, Jonathan, I appreciate the sentiment and I know you care, but practically, how am I going to find out the truth? I'm telling you, your dad's after me. David is very worked up here, very emotional. And Jonathan takes a few minutes and kind of just says, David, take a breather, catch your breath, and let's have a longer talk here. And they go out into a field, verse 11, and Jonathan said unto David, come and let us go into the field. And they went out both of them into the field. Now, this also gives them more privacy to be able to talk. But Jonathan is going to bring up something now that this ends up showing, uh, a, this is a high mark in showing Jonathan's character and showing the type of man he is, but also um, a main emphasis within this entire book about God's covenantal love shown to his people. This is an important passage. Let's look at this carefully. And Jonathan said unto David, it's something very important. And he says, O Lord God of Israel, He's calling on the God of Israel, their Lord, to be witness to what he's about to say. That's as serious as you can get with another person. When I have sounded out, when I have um, talked with my father and gotten an idea of where he's at, of my father, about tomorrow, this time is what he's saying, or the third day, in the next couple days, and behold, if there be good, or if he's well disposed toward David, and he's almost like he's talking to God here. And I then send not unto thee, 
um, and show it or disclose it to thee, the Lord do so and more to Jonathan. He's making a vow before God. Maybe he takes David by the shoulders. He says, calm down. Look, I want you to know something. If I'm going to go to my dad and, I, and if he's angry and I don't come back and tell you, because I'm going to come back and tell you, Jonathan, I mean, David, um, if I don't, then God can strike me dead because I'm swearing before God that I'll do this. And Jonathan means that. This is very important to him. Remember how um, Saul gave an oath recently that he wouldn't hurt David. And that lasted what? A few days, a few weeks. Saul's not intent on keeping his oath because God is not important to him. But God is very important to Jonathan. And Jonathan's serious about, serious about this. So folks, and again, another application of this, if you make a promise to God, if you commit to doing something to him, follow through on it. Make, make sure your, your relationship with God is so serious and so meaningful that you follow through on what you tell God you're going to do. And he will do that. Okay. Um, but if it please my father to do thee evil or harm, then I will show it to thee. I will tell you and I'll send you away that thou mayest go in peace. The idea of that you may escape into safety and be safe because ultimately he loves his friend and he wants David at peace. He wants him to have well-being. He wants him to have safety. The Lord be with thee as he hath been with my father. The Lord be with thee in the same way that he is with the king, or that he has been with my father in the past. Remarkable here, right? There is no trace of Jonathan being jealous or um, trying to seek after his own um, desires or position here. Here is the prince, in reality, of Israel, who knows that he's never going to be king, and it doesn't bother him at all. We have no indication of that. Rather, he's willing to do whatever he can to help David be king. Folks, that's an amazing character trait. That shows amazing humility and love for other people. That I care so much for this other person that my own position and my own um, desires in life, I'll be willing to make them secondary to minister and help that individual. This was unheard of at this time, especially in royal families. Um, in other nations, there was constantly infighting and family members being killed and, and enemies being killed and rivals to the throne being killed. That was just the norm you hear about in the Middle Ages, right? And even in England, you read some of the history and um, rivals to the throne are being massacred left and right. And it's almost it's, it's awful, but it's almost like what you expect. Yeah, well, that's the royal family and they protect themselves. None of that happens with Jonathan here. He's totally focused on helping David because he knows that David is, has the same commitment to God that he does. So he says, David, the Lord is going to be with me. I know that. And that's why I'm going to help thee. But then he gets even uh, more concentrated in his argument here. And he says, I want you to remember something. Verse 14, and thou shalt not only while yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not. Now, let me give you just another translation of that. That may be a little hard to understand. You could say it this way. If I am still alive by the time you become King David, remember to show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. That word for steadfast love is chesed. And it is one of the most important, beautiful words in the Old Testament. It is God's loyal love to his people. 
It is God's love that says, I will show you mercy and grace regardless of whether you deserve it or not, because you are my people. And Jonathan is highlighting, David, show me and my family that kind of love. David, when you become king, you've seen my intent is not to seek after the throne. David, when you become king, give me the same honor. Don't try to kill me. Because it was also very normal um, in pagan nations for the king to kill off all of his rivals once he'd become king. And Jonathan says, David, don't do that to me. Um, that steadfast love of the Lord that we have. But even further, not just me, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness or steadfast love from my house forever. Know when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. He also says, and be kind to my family. Again, what would a pagan king do? He would wipe out the rivals and all of the rivals' families so there would be no contestation, contesting of the throne. And Jonathan says something that was very unique. This was just was not done. Let my family live too. They Don't look at them as rivals to your throne, David, but show them the love of the Lord. This is very unique and unheard of. And, and Saul is going to remind Jonathan of that in just a few minutes here. So Jonathan then made a covenant with the house of David. This is either another covenant or an amendment to the covenant that they've already made, saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand, or let the Lord take vengeance on all of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as his own soul. You realize when Jonathan is making this covenant and he is literally calling the God of Israel to give David victory against all his enemies. Well, his own father is one of David's enemies. And he's literally saying, even if it's my own father, Lord, give David the victory. Remarkable. But this is the type of thing. The Lord, when the love of the Lord comes in between or comes between folks, you see unusual things. And that should be really, people should look at the, the love that the church has and the members of the church have for each other and say, that's something I've never seen before. This is something, if somebody could have watched this between Jonathan and David, they would have said, I've never seen anything like that before. Well, don't, yes, that's true. Maybe you haven't, but don't you want that same kind of love in your life? Come to the Lord, come to the Savior. And it says here again, because he loved him, for he loved him as his own soul. Later on, much later on, after Jonathan's death, David will write a song and say along the lines that he loved Jonathan more than women. And let's just address this right here. Unfortunately, in our culture today, they have made this dirty and immoral a lot of times. Even some within broader Christendom have some things to say about this friendship. What does it mean when? The Bible says that it was beyond the love of women. Well, it's really very simple, folks. As we continue to learn more about David, he is a man after God's own heart. But we learn, one of the things we do learn, one of his follies, one of his weaknesses is in his relationship with, with women, he doesn't have very good relationships. Think about even with Macau. Um, they don't seem to, as we continue to see how their relationship progresses, it doesn't seem to be very strong. David... Um, as maybe it was because as king, you just didn't have close relationships 
with the multitude of women that you married, whatever. But David struggled with having close relationships with women in general. And that was kind of like the, the, the problem, even in history at this time in this culture. But with men, there was th this close friendship where you could share what was on your heart in a way you couldn't, even with the, the woman you married. That's all this means, really. And that's that's what and it just shows the, the strength of their relationship in the Lord. It's not anything ugly or immoral. It's beautiful because it, it's a friendship based on their love for God. And that's how it should be kept. And so don't let anybody make that anything else. So beautiful, wonderful friendship here. Um, let's continue. Um, then Jonathan said to David, verse 18, tomorrow is the new moon and thou shalt be missed because thy seat will be empty. He's basically saying, I will do, I will follow your plan. And when thou hast stayed three days, then thou shalt go down quickly and come to the place where thou didst hide thyself when the matter or business was at hand and shall remain by the stone Edzo, which means stone heap. Basically, there was a prominent stone heap that everybody kind of knew, hey, let's meet at the old stone heap. And so Jonathan says, you meet me at the stone heap. It's far enough away from Saul. And now Saul, Jonathan adds to his plan, to David's plan being resourceful here. He says, let's do this even further, David, to protect you. This is what we're going to do. You wait those three days and then go by the stone heap and I will shoot three arrows on the side, on the side of you, David, thereof, as though I shot at a mark, as though I was trying to shoot. I was doing hunting practice, arrow practicing. I drove by the, the Russia's house not too long ago and I saw, I think it was Nate or one of the guys with their, arrow, their uh, bow and they were practicing, you know. That's what Jonathan was doing here, getting some practice in. I don't know if they're doing it for turkeys or, or whatever. Um, Jonathan's arrow practice was probably for Philistines. <laughs> but <laughs> he's going to have some practice here. And he says, if I shoot it off to the side, um, verse 21, and behold, I will send the lad, a little boy, saying, go find out the arrows. Um, and if I expressly say unto the lad, this is kind of like your caddy in golf, right? Little boy, behold, the arrows are on the side of thee, take them, then come thou, for there is peace to thee and no hurt as the Lord liveth. So if I yell out to my little, little lad, my boy here, the arrows are on the side of thee, then David, you know there's no trouble. You've got peace, well-being, you can come home. And that's what we're hoping for, David. But on the other hand, verse 22, if I say thus unto the young man, behold, the arrows are beyond thee, far beyond you, David, go thy way, get out of here, for the Lord hath sent thee away. Um, and as touching the matter which thou and I have spoken of, behold, the Lord is between thee and me forever. What a beautiful statement. That kind of relationship is the bond of love between believers. And, you know, what, what would be the practical aspects of that for us today? Well, where, where should the bond of love between believers be seen in our culture today? Well, it would be the church. How well are we doing in our relationships? So many times, unfortunately, there are a lot of churches that are known for arguing and for bitterness and for um, dissension and things. And this is what we should be known for is the love that we have for each other, that will be loyal, that will protect each other, that, we're, that we have each other's backs, especially in the culture that we find ourselves in now. 
as uh, things ramp up against Christians and there's more hostility. Folks, we need to, the church needs to be their, our refuge. Day, um, the friendship between, with Jonathan was David's refuge. And David is going to, like we mentioned last week, David's going to have a lot of things change in his life very quickly. We'll see that here in the next few verses. And David needed to hang on to that covenantal love that he had and that friendship and that, that personal reminder of God's love for him. And so that's why this is all so important that the narrator is highlighting this to say um, this love between people that love God is very important. We need each other when things spin out of control. So let's keep that in mind. Even as we're praying tonight here in a few minutes, let's be showing that love toward each other, a real concern for each other's burdens because we don't have it out there, right? But between believers, there ought to be this love and loyalty and concern. Well, let's quickly find out what happens. You know the end of this, but let's try to get through it. We got a few minutes. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon was come, the king sat down to eat meat, sat down at the table. The king sat upon his seat, as at other times, even upon the seat by the wall that has the idea of the king sits in a corner in such a way that he has protection. He's protected from, from enemies and he has uh, people around him. He's seated in the room in such a way that he's the one that's the most protected, the seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose or sat opposite him, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Uh-oh. Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought this. He thought, something hath befallen. Something's happened to David. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. You sense the intent that Saul has upon everything that David is doing. He's eyeing him with jealousy. So every move that he makes is important to him. And you can see how worked up he's getting. Well, he must not be ceremonially cleansed. This would happen if somebody wasn't able to clean, to have to be cleansed in the way that they were supposed to as God's people for this special, um, this special sacrificial dinner, then they wouldn't show up because they were unclean. And you remember that the... Um, Jewish person could become unclean by a lot of different things that they would touch. So Saul says, David just must have gotten himself ceremonially unclean, and he'll be there tomorrow. Certainly he'll be here tomorrow. And it came to pass on the morrow, the next day, the second day, that David's place was empty again. And now Saul's beginning to wonder. And he said unto Jonathan, his son, wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse? It's not David anymore. He's already distancing himself from his foe. He's not David. He's that son of Jesse. Where is that son of Jesse? To the meal, neither yesterday nor today. So Jonathan answers Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, David said to me, let me go, I pray thee, for our father hath the sacrifice in the city, and my brother he hath commanded me to be there. And now if I found favor in thy eyes, let me get away, I pray thee, and see my brethren. Therefore, he cometh not into the king's table. Uh, a good excuse that should have been reasonable, right? We, got, we discussed all this. Is Saul going to be reasonable? No way. Verse 30. Then Saul's anger, here's that he's wroth. His anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, this is almost, these, this is almost like using bad language in front of people. You know, this is how angry he is. Thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Whoa. That's his wife he's talking about, by the way. Just, just mark that. 
Do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion, or the idea is here to thine own shame, or under the confusion, the shame of thy mother's nakedness. That basically means to the shame of yourself and your mother. Why would he, and by the way, he's talking about the fact that um, Jonathan has shamed himself and his mother, but Saul's just shamed his mother by calling her that name. So, I mean, he's out of control, right? He's not even thinking clearly. Um, where for, for as long, now he gives his reasoning, and this reasoning is, is reasonable. It makes sense in a pagan, in a secular viewpoint. Verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established nor thy kingdom. You're never going to become king if you let David become king and be his friend. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. You won't be king. You won't have a dynasty, and you've brought shame upon yourself. Three arguments that go right to a man's ego and right to his soul. And Saul knows how to do this, like thrusting a dagger into his heart. And questioning Jonathan's, even his ability as a man. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said two questions. Wherefore shall he be slain? Why would you kill an innocent man? And if he's not innocent, what has he done? And Saul doesn't want to hear anything more. And Saul cast a spear at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. He's been shamed and he's frustrated. This is righteous anger. And he did not eat meat or food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. As we finish up here, he's not talking about the fact that he himself is shamed, but he's angry for his father shaming David. It's all about David, his friend. There's no self-centeredness in Jonathan at all. Folks, in our character, may it be said about us that we reflect to be more like Jonathan. And really, the ultimate reflection is that Jonathan is a picture of Jesus Christ and his humility in this. And we should reflect Jesus Christ, that we're not caught up in all of our own self-interest to the extent of um, not being willing to minister to other people and minister to friends and, and to neighbors. Um, Jonathan is a wonderful example. Well, we need to, we need to finish up. We'll, we'll get to this again next week. But Jonathan holds, and David, show us a good example of the bond of love that we ought to have here in the church. So as we go to prayer tonight, let's make sure that we really do have hearts that are burdened for what we're praying for and for each other and call out to the Lord to help each other.